This podcast is sponsored by GoMoto, the service lane kiosk that grows your business. GoMoto now has three new kiosks that allow customers to check in online and in-store, drop off and pick up keys, and interact in both English and Spanish. Visit GoMoto.com to learn more. That's G-O-M-O-T-O dot com. Welcome to Daily Drive for Wednesday, September 7th, 2022. I'm Jamie Butters, Executive Editor of Automotive News. And I'm Kellen Walker. Today on the show, this is a nice surprise. Stellantis will keep its second shift going in Windsor. Auto safety regulators offer new cybersecurity guidance. And Volvo tries to open doors to younger buyers by literally slamming doors. Plus, speaking of slamming things, we'll hear from an autonomous vehicle expert who is criticizing GM's crews for its troubled rollout in San Francisco, saying the company's robo-taxis share the blame for recent problems. Now, if you're the oncoming car, you don't expect someone in a left turn to jam on the brakes halfway through the left turn. In Pittsburgh, we call that being a jag-off, right? <laughs> you're not supposed to do that. Other cities have different names, some more colorful than others. Let's run through all the news you need to know to keep up in the auto industry. It turns out Stellantis won't eliminate its second shift at the Windsor Assembly Plant in Ontario after all. The automaker said almost a year ago that it would eliminate the second shift in early spring of 2022. But it has extended the crew's work three times since then. Now it's keeping the shift going until at least the end of next June. Unifor Local 444 President Dave Cassidy made the announcement in a Facebook video saying the automaker informed him of the decision on September 2nd. You know, we've been continuing to uh, fight and argue over that second shift issue. So they uh, give me notification today that it's uh, continuing till the end of June and we will continue to have those dialogue and debates uh, to make sure that it's right off the radar prior to us going back to our three shifts. Stellantis eliminated the plant's third shift two years ago. It cut about 1,400 jobs in the process. The nation's top auto safety regulator has released updated guidance to the automotive industry for improving cybersecurity in new vehicles. It's an update to the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration's voluntary guidance from 2016 and covers a range of cybersecurity issues as cars become more connected and potentially more vulnerable to hacking. The updated guidance builds on public comments, agency research, real-world incidents, industry voluntary standards, and general cybersecurity knowledge from the last several years. You can find a link to NHTSA's updated guidance at autonews.com. At least one major cybersecurity firm also believes hacking will become a bigger problem soon. That expectation has led Upstream Security to plan its first U.S. operations center in Ann Arbor, Michigan, about 40 miles west of Detroit. The Israeli company says the center will act as the automotive equivalent of an air traffic control tower, with employees monitoring millions of vehicles on the company's platform for cyber-related threats and vulnerabilities. It says it's important to have a U.S. cybersecurity center to sit closer to the automotive ecosystem here and have face-to-face -face dialogue with local customers. Upstream says vehicles increasingly face vulnerabilities from smartphone apps that connect to the vehicle and to EV charging networks. And Volvo's best-selling XC60 crossover has a problem. It has the oldest customer body of any Volvo model. To help fix that, the Swedish automaker hopes this 
will be music to younger buyers' ears. Take a listen. What you're hearing is a soundtrack of vehicle sounds, clicking seatbelts, blinking headlights, slamming doors, and swiveling mirrors blended into an electronic music track. Volvo collaborated with Canadian YouTuber Andrew Wang to create the track. The one minute plus YouTube video also serves as product marketing. It highlights the vehicle's swipe-based sunroof controls, Google-based infotainment system, and air purifier. It's the latest automotive ad strategy to take advantage of YouTube, which had a global ad revenue of $28 billion in 2021. That's up 46% from the year before. And those are today's headlines. Jamie, with Stellantis keeping its second shift, does this show that chip supply might be improving? It seems like it, it is getting a little bit better. I just spoke with Thad Zod. He's a Metro Detroit area auto dealer. And he said he's seeing a little more inventory coming in to his Stellantis store, to his Ford store, not so much at Toyota, but the Toyotas are all pre-sold. So demand continues to be really high and supply is starting to get a little better. Well, coming up, Cruz's injury causing crash and subsequent recall in San Francisco has at least one autonomous vehicle expert pulling his hair out. We're here from Carnegie Mellon University's Phil Copeman next on Daily Drive. Picture your service drive on a busy morning. There's a line of customers waiting to drop off their keys and check in at the counter. Every advisor is busy with simple tasks. Two are typing customer concerns into the computer to get a repair order created. Two are trying to find an appointment the customer swears they created online. And another is looking for a customer's keys who didn't come in to pick up their vehicle the night before. It's a chaotic and unproductive scene, and you know you're probably losing money by not offering standard upsells with every write-up and frustrating customers with long wait times. Now imagine that same morning, but with customers checking in themselves in about two minutes. Your advisors are still busy, but they are busy selling. There are no more lines, no more wasted time, and no more frustration. GoMoto kiosks free up your advisors to focus on high-impact, customer-facing, profit-oriented work that improves and speeds up the process. And with three new kiosks, online check-in, and Spanish-language support, you can now serve more customers in more ways with a process that fits their needs. Visit GoMoto.com. That's G-O-M-O-T-O.com to explore all the ways kiosks can increase profit, efficiency, and overall operations in your service drive. Welcome back to Daily Drive. I'm Jamie Butters with Kellen Walker. Injury-inducing crashes, robo-taxi clusters that block intersections, interference with emergency vehicles, let's just say it hasn't all been peace and love in San Francisco so far for GM's self-driving startup Cruise. The company is now recalling 80 of its robo-taxis to update their software, that's after a June crash that left two people injured. Federal regulators said the recalled software could incorrectly predict an oncoming vehicle's path. Cruz says the software update should fix the problem, 
But one autonomous vehicle expert says that's not good enough. And he's harshly criticizing Cruz for its public comments about the incident. Dr. Phil Copeman is a professor at Carnegie Mellon University who has been working on self-driving car safety for more than 25 years. He recently spoke with our own Jake Neer. Here's their conversation. Dr. Copeman, welcome to the Daily Drive podcast. Thanks for having me on, Jake. So first of all, give us a quick recap of what happened in this specific crash in San Francisco. Well, the only thing we have to go on is what Cruz is telling us. So I'm going to take that at face value and uh, see where it leads us. Uh, it sounds like there was one of the cruise vehicles running in uh, fully autonomous mode, which means there was no safety driver, and it was making an unprotected left turn. So there was no traffic light protecting it. It was making a, a left turn across multiple lanes in the other direction. And there was another car coming the other direction. We'll come back to the details of that. And so it was turning left in front of an oncoming car, and it detected that there was some sort of collision going to happen. And so it came to a stop in the lane of the other car. The other car coming towards it apparently didn't have time to stop or it didn't stop. Instead, it swerved into the middle of the road to try and go around, but clipped the back end of the cruise vehicle as it went past. So what does that tell you as someone who researches how AVs react to these situations or are supposed to react to these situations? Anyone who's been working on autonomous vehicles knows that unprotected left turns are kind of scary because you're vulnerable. There's oncoming traffic. You want to make sure you don't get hit. Uh, but new drivers feel the same way. So you know, that's okay. That's just part of the game. If you're trying to drive on public roads, unprotected lefts are, are tough. When I was a, a new driver, one of the things I learned was to never make an unprotected left when I could see any cars coming at me at all. Mm -hmm. And then as I got more sophisticated, I got better at judging the speed and making left turns to make sure that they weren't going to be anywhere near me when it came. And even today, sometimes when I'm driving, people are impatient because I'm not going to gun it and zip across right in front of some other car because I just think it's too dangerous. Mm -hmm. But the way I've always been taught is if you make the oncoming traffic slow down or stop for you, it's your fault. You shouldn't have done it. You're not supposed to make them stop. Uh, and so the fact that a cruise made a left in front of another car and the other car hit them is really problematic. And the part that's kind of weird is it stopped before it completed the left turn. Now, it doesn't say whether or not the side street it was turning into is empty, but the way this is written, we basically have to say that any excuse not given what, what must not be valid. So the, the side street must have been empty. And instead of going into the side street, it stopped in the middle of the lane of the oncoming car. Yeah. Now, if you're the oncoming car, you don't expect someone in the left turn to jam on the brakes halfway through the left turn. Mm -hmm. You know, in, in, in Pittsburgh, we call that being a jagoff, right? <laughs> you're not supposed to do that. Other cities have different names, some more colorful than others, right? Mm -hmm. You're not supposed to stop halfway through a left turn into oncoming traffic. Mm -hmm. And then somehow it's the other, the oncoming car's fault. I mean, the oncoming car apparently was was doing some things less than perfect, but stopping them a left, left turn and getting hit is not a good road citizen. You know, at least some of the blame is going to be on you. And it's hard for me to understand why an autonomous vehicle is programmed to stop in front of oncoming traffic. 
when, when it could have kept going. You mentioned a key word in there, which is blame. And uh, you put a post on LinkedIn after the, um, the recall was issued. Uh, you said, quote, I've never seen a recall report this full of spin and blame. I hope anything further from them, meaning crews, is more about safety and less about blame and spin. I'm curious, you know, about the ramifications for the way that you see crews reacting to this and the, the messages that they're putting out about it. Starting with the initial report uh, that became public, which was quite a while after the, the mishap happened, you know, it came out later, uh, it was all about the other guy was, was misbehaving and, and implicitly that means it's not Cruz's fault. It was all about that. If you're interested in safety, blame doesn't get you to safety. You know, if, if you have a crash and it's the other guy's fault, it doesn't take away the fact that you had a crash. Right. And, and you could, in principle, and now this is not what I'm saying Cruz is doing, but I just want to illustrate the concept. What if you had autonomous vehicles had twice as many crashes, twice as many injuries, twice as many fatalities as regular cars? Now, I'm not saying it's going to turn out that way. This is just an illustration. What if that were true and every single crash was the other guy's fault? I would say that's not safer. Mm. Just because it's not your fault doesn't mean it was safe. You know, it's about... Uh, not having crashes, not not blame, mm. uh, and and real roads are safe because in large part people make mistakes all the time, but people are also good at compensating for other drivers' mistakes. So it's it's not okay to hit someone because they didn't obey the law if you could have prevented it. And so the question is not whose fault was it. The question is what could the crews have done to not get hit. And, and why didn't it do that? And is it a reasonable foreseeable? I mean, there's someone coming up allegedly faster than the speed limit at you, and you cut in front of them anyway, and you get hit. Well, maybe you shouldn't have cut in front of them. I wanted to get into some of the specific language in the report that you really called out, which is, and, and something that hit me when I first read about this as well, uh, Cruz calling this a, quote, singular, exceptional circumstance. Um, and this uh, apparently is fixed with the new updates Cruz is saying. What is your reaction to that phrasing, singular and exceptional? Getting hit on an unprotected left is about the least singular and exceptional thing I can think of. <laughs> now, now, if you want to say, but this one had a a uh, right turn slash bus slash taxi lane. And by the way, the report forgets to mention it's also a taxi lane and the oncoming vehicle was a ride share. So that gets interesting. You know, the, when I say this sort of spin, it's like, really, why'd you leave that out? I, you know, why don't you just be factual and, and say the facts instead of trying to just put these little spins on it? But sure, maybe that's a little different. But if you really look at it that way, every single crash is singular exceptional because there's always something you can find that's different than every other crash. So it, it may be literally true, but it doesn't really help because if every possible driving situation is singular and exceptional, that means every time there's a crash, you can blame it on that. And a million crashes later, you're still saying, yep, that one was singular and exceptional too. That's not helpful. It, it's an unprotected left. And, and you, they came at it apparently too aggressively. Uh, they didn't say they couldn't see the guy coming, and I assume I assume they would have said it if they could see him come. Couldn't see him coming, so they must have seen the guy coming. They misjudged the speed. I personally witnessed uh, a crash where someone did a left turn in kind of in front of oncoming traffic, got hit because it was a brand new driver, and, and and just misjudged it. Okay, if you misjudge it, say you misjudge it, but 
why is that so unexpected and weird? And why didn't you fix that in simulation? What's bizarre about getting hit, making a left and getting T-bone? What's bizarre about that? I don't get it. Right. And you kind of call this a red flag that if, if this is uh, considered a singular exceptional event, that there could be more problems with Cruz's system. Is that a, is that a fair characterization? Yeah, it, it's this has the kind of, of smell to it that a programmer will say, oh, um, yeah, we just had a bug in our program, but we fixed it. So I'm sure there's no more bugs. And, and anyone who works in software knows that that's never the case. Mm. <laughs> you know, once you find one bug, that means there's more. So what they did not put in the report, which I would have expected is, hey, here's why this bug got past all our rigorous quality control. You know, there was a process failure here. There's a process failure there. And we're not just fixing the bug. We're finding out that there's a whole branch in our simulator of special case left turns that we hadn't simulated. And we're going to start doing that. And... Our, our car didn't know about um, something special about bus taxi lanes, and, and we fixed that. And so now every left turn across every possible lane is taken care of. But I didn't see the, the root cause about why it went wrong. I just saw, well, you know, that one's special, so don't worry, nothing to see here, move on. And anytime you see that kind of reaction, it really calls into question the safety culture of the organization. Earlier you asked, you know, why, why do I think this is so full of spin and blame? If you compare this to a National Transportation Safety Board report, they're not going to say the other guy was going fast and, and try and you know, read this. It's clearly the kind of thing we're trying to blame the other guy, right? It'll just be fact, 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 fact. The other guy contributed by doing this. Our guy contributed by doing this. Here's what we're going to do to fix it. Not we fixed it. Here's what we're going to do to fix it. Here's why you should believe we fixed it. You know, that that isn't how this reads. Before I let you go, I want to pull back a little bit, look at this from a broader perspective. Perception is huge when it comes to AVs and and how quickly we're going to adopt AVs in the future. This whole rollout with Cruise in San Francisco, I mean, this is just one of a number of sort of high profile stories we've seen. We've seen, um, you know, Cruise robo taxis clustering together, blocking traffic for hours, issues with a fire truck. Recently, Cruise, I believe, had a whistleblower complaint come out against uh, the company about its safety culture. How should the average American consume these stories and then think about where we're at right now with AVs and the talk of this being a new normal in, in America, as much as I hate that phrase, <laughs> you know, what, what should the average person, uh, what would you tell them for context and, and also to keep in mind as, as they're hearing these stories? I think the big overarching issue is that there are really pressing business reasons to pull out the safety drivers before it's really time. You need your next funding round. You need to, you need to be seen to make progress for, for investors. Some of the companies have stocks, some don't, but they're all trying to show progress. And the problem is if you take the safety driver out before it's really as safe, at least as a human driver, you're going to see crashes like this. And, and the, the pattern with Cruise is we keep seeing, oh, yeah, that happened, but um, because reasons and we're going to fix it, but we're not going to. And then the next thing happens. Even with uh, the fire truck and the cluster of vehicles, they could have a valet sitting in the passenger seat whose job is to jump out and get it out of the way of its blocking traffic. And they could still demonstrate it's driving safely without having to cause that public nuisance. In this left turn case, 
they got hit from something pretty every day. So it really calls into question why they didn't put safety drivers back into their rotary shore. Now, what they did do is they stopped making left turns, but now they're making them again. There's no transparency whether they fixed it or not. We, you know, they said they do. We don't know. But it feel, because they had that left, it suggests they pulled the safety drivers out too soon. Now, the reality is if a safety driver was there and never touched the controls, they could still claim credit for being safe. So it makes no sense to test a vehicle that you're not absolutely sure is safe without a safety driver. That's just putting everyone at risk for, for no reason other than it looks it's really cool to say you don't have a safety driver. So for the, for the public, I really worry about the incentive structure to pull out safety drivers before it's time because of optics, because of press, because of publicity, rather than say, yeah, we have a safety driver and all we do is we make sure he never has to touch the controls and then we count that as no safety driver. That'd be a lot more responsible way to treat public safety. Dr. Phil Copeman, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for joining us on Daily Drive. Thanks for having me on. Dr. Phil Copeman is a professor of electrical and computer engineering at Carnegie Mellon University who studies autonomous vehicles. He spoke with our own Jake Neer. That's Daily Drive for today. I'm Jamie Butters. And I'm Kellen Walker. You can get the latest news on autonomous vehicles, cybersecurity, and everything happening in the auto industry at autonews.com. Come back tomorrow for a preview of next week's Detroit Auto Show with Thad Zott, the event's co-chair and president of the Detroit Auto Dealers Association. If you enjoy the podcast, remember to like, leave a review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode.